Now, I have to admit a few things to you guys, and you're probably going to think I'm not quite as smart as maybe you thought I was, although I don't want to know how smart you think I am, so we'll just skip past that. I don't know how airplanes work, and yet I still fly on them sometimes. I'd rather not. I'd rather drive, to be honest. I also don't really know how artificial intelligence works, but I trusted it enough to write my sermon for me today, so. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. Come on. I don't know exactly how it works. You know, I've read a little bit about it. I see it popping up all over the place. It's becoming a critical part of our lives, whether that scares you or not. I think we're accepting it to some degree. I don't know how a lot of things work. A lot of things that I rely upon every day. My streaming cable service, my laptop, my phone, the internet, just in general. I rely upon it for a lot of things. If the internet goes out, I just go to sleep. But I rely upon these things, and so do you for, like, for entertainment and for communication and for uh, getting work done and for gaining knowledge, all sorts of things. We don't quite understand how they exactly work or fit together, and yet we rely upon these things. We kind of, in a way, kind of believe in them, I guess you could say. They're a part of our lives. These things are mysteries, though, to me. I struggle with total understanding. There's a lot of things that are mysteries in life. Maybe you guys are thinking of other things that maybe are kind of mysterious to you. Maybe you know a little bit about it, but you don't know it to the nth degree, how it all fits together, how it works, and all of that. Uh, but we do. Even though we don't have total understanding of everything, we do accept things and actually kind of put our trust in a lot of things. Well, on this Sunday which uh, we call Holy Trinity Sunday, we're going to be talking about one of life's greatest mysteries. The doctrine that there is one God um, and yet three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this doctrine um, of the Holy Trinity, it is clearly taught in the Scriptures, but it is not clearly explained, much to our chagrin, perhaps, it is there for us to see that there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, but it is not always obvious exactly how it works, you know, the, the inner workings of the triune God. And so we have to admit on some level that it is a mystery. But I thought we would um, take a little journey through the scriptures today and hit on some of the, uh, the passages from which we get this teaching about the triune God. So ready or not, we're going to do that. Uh, but first, I wanted, I wanted to ask you guys, did you guys know that the word Trinity or triune God, uh, it does not appear in the Bible? Some of you, I can tell you're shaken by this knowledge. Yeah, that's okay. It, it doesn't really matter. It's just a word that we've kind of coined to, in, in a shorthand way, explain how God has uh, revealed himself to us. But we see, again, even though the word Trinity's not there, even though we don't have a long, you know, uh, essay about this is how the Trinity works, you know, a letter of Paul or something, it, it shows up all over the place. So let, let's look and see where we see the triune God. Well, we've already seen it here in our Genesis reading. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A lot of times when we, when we say God, if you just say God, sometimes you're you're referring to the triune God, but also maybe in particular, you're referring also to the Father, that first person of the Trinity. I think that's how it is here. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, so we've got the Father and the Spirit. Where's the Son? Well, let's, let's check in with Gospel writer John, chapter 1. This is uh, kind of the, the counterpart to the Old Testament narrative of creation. We have John. Uh, it seems like he knows he's writing the New Testament here. And he says, In the beginning was the Word. Is the Word, is that like a book? Or is it a person? What, who, who or what is the Word, guys? Help me. Oh, come on. Say Jesus' name boldly. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God, the Word made flesh. So it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is John's way of introducing the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as the second person of the Trinity, uh, fully divine, as well as being fully human. Uh, so he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So we see here, between Genesis and John, we see all three persons of the Trinity working together in creation. More on that in a little bit. Uh, we go forward, though. Still in Genesis chapter 1, another uh, Trinitarian passage that we have. Then God said, let us make man in our image. That throws you, that plural throws you a little bit, doesn't it? After our likeness. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We go into Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 3, we've got Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The voice of the Father, right? As the Spirit rests on, on Jesus, Jesus the Son of God, being baptized. Then we get uh, into 2 Corinthians. And Paul, you know, he likes to sign off his letters sometimes with a nice benediction, a nice pastoral blessing. Uh, us pastor types like to plagiarize this one from Paul. It's, it's a good one. Why reinvent the wheel? But this is very notable because this is just a few decades after Jesus lives and dies and rises again and ascends that we have this Trinitarian theology that we see very clearly from Paul. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Three distinct persons of the Trinity right there. One more passage here from, from the Bible. John 15, John is the gospel where we see Jesus just, he speaks a lot more, at least as John records it, um, speaks a lot about the relationship between the Son and the Father and the Spirit and how they all uh, work together. So Jesus says these words, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You see this, this is Old Testament, Gospels, letters of Paul, all over the scriptures, the triune God, this teaching is there for everyone to see. It is all over the place. Now, the one thing though, that I just, I just get frustrated about sometimes is that the scriptures don't seem all that concerned with helping me fully understand it all. You guys ever thought that before? Ever gotten a little worked up about that? Yeah. It's okay, though. 
A, a wise um, seminary professor once told me uh, the following. He said, the Trinity is not so much to be understood as it is to be believed. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that statement. Now, some of you might be thinking, that's kind of, that sounds like a cop-out answer, you know? This is like, just don't, don't think about it too hard or you'll hurt yourself, you know? Um, we are very encouraged to use the brains, right, that God has blessed us with, uh, but there comes a point where it is, it is actually okay, I believe, to admit that God is in some ways incomprehensible. It's okay sometimes to stand, you know, kind of stand next to God and just be like, wow, I'm little. I'm little compared to God. And it's okay, I don't have to understand exactly how he works. He can be incomprehensible in some ways. He has revealed himself in a very personal way in the person of Jesus Christ. So I have that. I don't have to know exactly how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit fit together one person, or one God, three persons. Uh, that can be a little bit tricky. It is okay for us to believe in a mystery that we don't fully understand. Now, it is a temptation sometimes, at least for me personally, when there is something that I really cannot grasp or really cannot understand. It's a temptation for me to discard such a thing because I think, well, if I can't understand it, why is it even worth thinking about, you know? That's just, again, that's my frustration, I guess, not understanding everything in life. So I would say, when it comes to the Trinity, though, even though it is a mystery, it would be the wrong course of action to set the Trinity over here and think, that doctrine doesn't really apply to my life. It doesn't matter. Too hard to understand. I know one, year, one day a year in church, we have to think about it and sing about it, but other than that, let's not think about it. No, that's the wrong course of action. There is a lot of value, there is a lot for us to learn from just kind of marveling at the mystery of the Holy Trinity. And that's, what I, that's where I want to lead us here today, is to think, how is the Holy Trinity actually a mystery that matters? How does it inform who we are and what we are called to do and to be here in this life? Well, we're going to look at a few different ways. First thing I want to bring up here as we observe our triune God is we see relationship at the very heart of who God is. And we see this relationship um, playing out as God works as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to create and to redeem and to sanctify us. And you guys are thinking, yeah, that word relationship, yeah, that, that's, that's an important word, right? Um, it's not a surprise because we know how much God values his relationship with us. And we know how central our human relationships are here in this life. So it is not a shocker in any way that God uh, is all about relationship. We see this, um, we see the Trinity collaborating in relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, in a number of ways. The first one is creation. Uh, we saw that here with our Genesis, and then that, you know, that little passage that we read from John a few minutes ago. But in Genesis, we see God the Father, he's speaking, and stuff is coming into shape, coming into view. Um, there's that little refrain in the Genesis 1 passage, you know, God would speak, and, and it was so. He's speaking things into existence. But then John tells us that the Son is, 
is creating. Then we see the Holy Spirit, he's hovering over the waters, right, in verse two of Genesis one. So um, another, another, I'm talking about all my wise, um, shout out to all my wise seminary professors today. One of them described uh, the division of labor, so to speak, in the Trinity and creation as this. The Father's like the designer, the Son is like the builder, and the Holy Spirit is like the inspector, okay? That's uh, one way, this, this, is, this, this is just another way where my, our human brains are trying to make sense of how this works out, right? So for whatever that's worth, but it is, um, we see the Trinity, however it exactly plays out, in perfect relationship, um, going out and, and um, accomplishing these things that God wants to do. The first is, being, is creating this good, this very good, this perfect creation. And it is good, very good, perfect for two and a half chapters, and then sin enters the world. And so then the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in perfect relationship goes forth to redeem and to sanctify this broken, sinful world. We're, we're, we're in this process. The Holy Trinity is, has been working to redeem and to sanctify you. And we see this in Acts, in that Acts 2 passage. It said, I'll just reread a couple verses. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Okay, what Peter's referring to there is this, all these events of Pentecost, right? That the apostles have received the Holy Spirit and they are sharing um, with people from all around the world, they're sharing in their native language the message about Jesus about how he has redeemed them from sin and death and from the power of, devil, uh, of the devil by dying on the cross and rising again. And now the Holy Spirit is going forth to sanctify and to help people cling to Jesus in faith. This is this beautiful relationship, activity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to make us children of God. And we see this playing out so beautifully. Now, the second thing I want to bring up is we see within the Trinity true and total unity. Do you guys ever wish for unity? Of course. It's like I have kind of a love-hate relationship with the word because it's something that I, I so strongly desire, like in my family and in our church and in our country and in the nations around the world, and yet it is like so hard to grasp, right? It just kind of slips through our fingers all the time. But we, we take maybe personal uh, strides to try to become more united with others. We pray for it, we long for it. It keeps us up at night sometimes wishing for it. We see in the Trinity though, perfect, true, total unity, the ideal kind of unity. And I believe that as, uh, as Christians, one of our main strivings ought to be to become more like God. Okay, is that controversial? No? Okay, you guys are quiet. Um, yeah, so we're, we're striving to become more like God. And in this, in this instance, we're striving to become um, more united as God's people. Now, this is a, you know, one step forward, you know, how many steps backward kind of a process. So it can be frustrating, but I believe it's worth trying to achieve some shred of unity as God's people here even in, 
in this life because this is a hallmark of who God is. Three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, united. It is sometimes we, we confess we believe in the Trinity in unity and the unity in Trinity. That's a little bit of a confusing thing too, right? We don't have to understand it. But we know that the, you, you cannot find a, more, a better example of unity toward a common purpose than the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in total unity to redeem and to sanctify you. And so we strive, even though we may only get just a little shred of it, we strive as God's people to be united because that's how God is, and we want to be more like God. He's the model for us. He's so much more than just a model, just an example though, right? He has actually done these things. He has unified us by faith in Jesus. He has made us his own people. And so we long for the day when we'll have perfect unity and we still strive for it here in this life. Now the final thing I want to bring up here today, what we can learn about, or what we can um, learn from the Holy Trinity is we see sending as a central activity of the Trinity. Sending. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit sends people back to the Son, who in turn sends them back into right relationship with the Father. Did you guys follow that one? Yeah, here, I'll put it up on the screen too. So the, the Father, it's just kind of a, a simple, beautiful little way to understand how the Trinity is sending. The Father sends the Son right into the world to become a man. The Son, after ascending, sends the Spirit. The Spirit always bears witness about the Son. And the Son's main purpose was to reunite us with the Father. That's pretty simple. I still don't know if I totally understand it, but it's, it's, it's about as simple as, as I can explain it, I guess. And so we see this sending among the Trinity, but then God also involves you and me in this sending. And we see this with Jesus and the disciples with the Great Commission. Um, and it's, it's kind of, a, there's a fun little detail in that passage that maybe uh, you overlooked. I tried to read it so that you could kind of pay attention to it. But it, it says that Jesus, um, the risen Jesus appears to them and they're worshiping him, but then it says, but some, what, what, did, what did some do? They doubted, but some doubted. And, um, you know, this is, this is kind of a, this, this is a Holy Trinity Sunday, it's kind of a doubting day, isn't it? Because we think about the incomprehensible nature of the Trinity, and we doubt. And sometimes I get kind of worried on this day. I'm like, do I understand the Trinity well enough to be called a Christian? You know, do I, should I even be a pastor if I don't totally understand it, right? It, it's kind of, maybe it causes some anxiety in some of you who like to understand things. What does Jesus do with these doubters on this day? Does he say, here's a list of books you have to go read, you're disqualified for now, come back, you know, you bring me the essay questions, and then once I grade them satisfactorily, then you can go. No. They're worshiping, some are doubting. Jesus knows this, right? He knows everything. And he still says, all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples. 
of all nations. He sends them out. So if the doubting disciples weren't off the hook, I guess we're not either, okay? I'm just going to use some logic and say that. So we are also sent out in keeping with the sending activity of the Trinity. And so that, that part comforts me knowing that Jesus sent them out and he sends us out. And remember that promise that we can hold on to is that I am with you always, Jesus says. I am with you always. Now, I want to just give a few closing thoughts here for what, what can we as the church today learn from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit about these things we've been talking about. Relationships, unity, and sending. Because we are children of the Father. We are redeemed by the Son. We have been sanctified and kept in the true faith by the Spirit. And so as believers in the triune God, we, we rejoice in the relationship that God has made with us. How wonderful, how amazing, how that he values relationship with us. And so as we rejoice in that, we then, in turn, value the relationships with others. And so as we go out from here, we value and cultivate those relationships and lead others to know the triune God as their God as well. We also strive for unity in all things. We'll just use the local church as an example. We strive for unity together here as God's people gathered in his name so that we don't get distracted from our mission, so that God will give us a laser-like focus to make disciples. And speaking of making disciples, we boldly go where he sends us, trusting in his promise to be with us in the neighborhoods of our lives as we lead, other, as we lead our neighbors to get to know Jesus. The Trinity is undoubtedly a mystery, but it is a mystery that matters. It is a mystery that, that by faith it shapes who you are and it gives you guidance for, for how you are to be as children of God here in this world. May God grant this for us in Jesus' name.